0: And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 18 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, 2014. And as we always say, we'd certainly love a review of the show on iTunes. Oh, and please do consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher or email or smoke signal or at your local Olive Garden restaurant, wherever you want to subscribe. And all of the subscription links, along with every episode's lovely show notes and general awesomeness of everything we talk about today, you can find in our show post on our very own, very fashionable corner of the web, thisoldmarketing.com. And also, as always, I'm here with my good friend, cohort, conspirator, and colleague, Joe Polizzi, the only guy who could change the official color of St. Patrick's Day from green to orange. Hello, Joe. How are you, my friend? Happy St. Patrick's Day.
1: Happy St. Patrick's Day to you, and I would love that. Can we do that? Can somebody I, make that happen? And, I think you they, should
0: probably do that. We
1: know. know the Cuyahoga River was orange at one time. It was on fire 40 <laughs> years ago. But, you know, we maybe maybe they should have that tradition in Cleveland. We should just dye that baby orange and all will be right with the world.
0: That's right. Well, you know, and I don't know if you heard, uh, we had a lovely earthquake here in, the, in in beautiful Los Angeles today, which was always a wonderful I, way to wake up.
1: I did. I saw the damage that you had on... I think what, There was a lamp that fell over
0: or That's something? Right. That was That's the- right. That's right. The news was... It was classic. The news was filled with, we're going to go now to Sherman Oaks, where a drawer came open. And then we're going to go now to Encino, where actually two pieces of crystal, and the reporter is literally holding the two pieces of crystal in her hand, going, these are the crystals that actually broke when the earthquake hit at 6.25 a.m. It was it was pretty amazing. Talk
1: about searching for the news and trying to find something to talk about. Unbelievable. <laughs> Only in Hollywood, exactly. my friend.
0: That is right. That yeah. is right. Well, speaking of the news, why don't we get right to it? Um, and uh, we are kicking off today with a... A Wall Street Journal article, actually, that was really interesting. They came out this week, um, and they're going to launch a new content studio. So they're launching this new studio, which is going to support their native advertising, because it can't be a show without us talking about native advertising. But they're going to be having their new native advertising section, and this is a studio for their clients to actually get creative stuff done, like you know, infographics and videos and content and I mean, what do you think, Joe? Is this is this is this going to start competing with agencies? The Wall, Wall Street Journal is going to start competing with ad agencies.
1: Well, for the quick answer is yes, of course, <laughs> and they've been doing that for a long time. But my question is, it's called their their first product is called Narratives. Right. I read this one time, and I'm a little bit foggy today. So, what is the Narratives? Can you explain what that exactly? Uh, Wall Street uh, Custom well, WSJ Custom Studios. What what are, what is Narratives? What what's that all about? Well, they don't
0: really ever. Very, you know, well-defined it. But basically what they talk about is that this this new studio is going to create stories and execute on those stories for clients in, you know, across the, the Wall Street Journal properties, right? So it could be infographics, enhanced videos. um they're going to be doing it's basically as they call it an innovative and intelligent and flexible suite of capabilities that will help market leading brands develop even deeper relationships with their clients. And so, you know, it, you sure funny. that wasn't next generational? Or I mean, <laughs> exactly. like we we right. missed a few buzzwords in there, uh, right? <laughs> you know, to me, it it goes back to, you know, one of the things we were talking about. I think two two episodes ago was where we were talking about how publishers were really going to have to start paying attention to the quality, you know, this native advertising. They're really going to have to pay attention to the quality of ads. And I think this speaks right to that because they're going to have to really focus on stuff that matches their brand if they're going to make this thing work. And I think, you know, this is this is one way to do that. It's like if you want to control the creative, offer the creative.
1: It's just unbelievable to me. And and by the way, we did, we should warn everyone on this episode. There's more native advertising to come. We've, we're we're going to be talking about it a lot in this, uh, in this episode. But I, I, I mean, I can just imagine the salespeople within all these publishers and Wall Street Journal as well. I mean, they, they found gold. They're like, "Oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing that's happened. I had so much problems selling all that display stuff that nobody wanted and didn't work, and now we've got all this great stuff, and they're going to go saddle editorial with all these problems and it is going to be a huge major headache for these people, but they're going to be selling it as a
0: premium I, I i well I wonder if this is you know I wonder if this is the start of something larger here, which is you know it used to be that basically you know if, if I mean, it was. I've been reading a lot uh, recently about history and, old, you know, and marketing history, advertising history, PR history, and one of the things that I found fascinating is is that in the very early days, this is from a book called The History of Advertising. If anybody's interested, the very early days of advertising, the advertiser agencies, the advertising agencies were within the newspapers. They were actually in. The, they were groups. They were departments within the newspapers themselves, and it was only you know within the 1920s and 1930s that they actually came out of the newspapers and became independent um, uh, companies to move out you know onto Madison Avenue, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. It's a really interesting thing. I wonder if we're actually moving back into that model a little bit, where the publishers themselves. Really feel like they can sell their own inventory and then create the creative that matches their brand more tightly, and actually sell you know sell advertisers the the, the whole package.
1: That is incredibly insightful, Mister Rose. I um I <laughs> think you, <laughs> I think well I think you're right because if the new advertising that everyone's getting so excited about is content driven, then are not publishers and media companies the best position for that to happen?
0: Well, it's really interesting because then does it does it also incite the opposite, which is advertising agencies getting into the publishing business?
1: Absolutely. Well, it should. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll just tell you a side story, and I don't know what made me think of this. But, I mean, I used to, of course, work at Pent Media, and I used to <clears throat> we used to run an in-house agency within a – we didn't call it an in-house agency, but that's what it was, an in-house content agency within a publishing operation, and I remember going to one of the industry events, and Diana Poli, a friend of mine at the time, I haven't talked to her in a while, but she ran a content agency, independent content agency, called Poli and Company, and I remember, we were competitors against each other, and we competed against a few association projects, and they always won, and that tells you how good my sales, my salesmanship was, (laughs) because she beat the crap out of me every time, but that said, when we were talking one time, and I can't remember how it got brought up, but she said, look, she said, we'll beat you guys every time. You go in there as publishers saying that you've got all these fancy uh, whiz-bang tools, and she meant distribution. We have the distribution, and we go in with that. Publishers always lead with that. We have the audience. And by the way, now we've got the content, but that's what we led with. And Diana said, well, the, right. way, the way that we will beat you guys is because we are so focused on marketing for the company and creating content around what their marketing objectives are and you're so focused on fitting it in with your distribution products and you know what she had a point she absolutely had a point because we were first trying to sell distribution and then we were trying to sell content marketing wasn't called that then but that's what we were selling now, boy, oh boy, I mean, you could make a case now that they they have the full package. You have this custom studio here that Wall Street Journal's talking about, and now you've got the distribution. And if you are an ad agency, the I would I'd start absolutely focusing on your core expertise areas and figuring out how you can add in a media brand or two to get some distribution just to stay competitive, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, so I mean, look, if we look for takeaways here for for marketers that are that are looking to deploy content marketing strategies, I think you have to start to look at some of the publishers because the next story we're going to cover here talks to exactly that. You have to start looking at these publishers as resources for you to actually get campaigns and also the approach more broadly of content marketing done. I mean, if they do this well, and they actually create something that really works here, it's going to be really interesting to see how Madison Avenue responds to that.
1: Well, the last thing, and I only want to get to the next news topic, but the last thing, and this is, this is happening with all these native advertising articles. We're talking about the journalists that, fo- that are writing, uh, reporting, uh, comment, commenting on as part of the regular news or the regular brand are starting to work on these native initiatives. That's a yep. big deal. Yep. Because in the past, you'd always shelter them. So, oh, they'll be in the meeting. Oh, we'll have the chief editor in the meeting. But he can't touch any of your stuff or she can't touch any of that. we got to have this church and state thing. Well, the, in one of these articles, maybe it was this one, says this church and state relationship is pretty porous today. There's a lot of holes in the Swiss cheese going on. And, That's right. I'll, I'll tell you, this is, this is interesting. So you can have some of the best journalists on the planet working on your project. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely you can. And, you know, and as I've said many times, as a marketer, I don't care about the separation of church and state. I, you know, I, I don't, as long as it serves my purposes, that's your problem, Mr. Publisher, to figure all that stuff out. All I want is my piece of content to get engaged with and have it enhance the consumer behavior in the way I want it enhanced. So, well, anyway, so speaking of in-house studios and creative and all of that, moving on to the next story here, really interesting one. Unilever is taking a content-first approach to marketing. This is a headline that comes from the Content Marketing Association, a group out of the UK, um, which I know you've had some history with, Joe. We'll leave that for another uh, session. No, it's there. all just... good. It's all good now. We, Content
1: Marketing Associate used to be called Association of Publishing Agencies. We love nice. you now. We, you're, you're doing some good work. There's oh, no, OK. There's, no, there's right. no problems. Okay. That was in the past.
0: OK, anyway, <laughs> moving on. So there, the article, well, we're giving them a nice plug here. What's there you go. Yeah, here? absolutely. Yeah. Good article. So, Let's do it. Really, a really good article here talking about how Unilever has really added a complete strategy around their sustainability with The Guardian, um, the big newspaper, of course, in the UK. And the intro, what struck me about this was it was, I, and I actually went back and looked at all of our show notes from previous episodes, and it was in episode number four, that we talked about how Unilever was slashing jobs. It was a, it was a talk. It was talk about how the marketing organization at Unilever was being completely restructured, and and they were uh, looking at really slashing regional marketing jobs. But the interesting thing was that what they said was it was in non-working media or basically agency fees that they were looking to really reduce. And where they've been successful is where these they were tr- tr- focusing on highly creative, content-oriented pieces. Well, here we go. Here's their first if not, you know, maybe second or third or fourth, move into this kind of area by making this deal with the Guardian where they're gonna put a lot of creative content under the guise of the in house Guardian studio units, what they call the Guardian Labs. And these journalists are now going to be creating content for Unilever brands. And it's fascinating. What's your take?
1: I love the point in here. Uh this is, I like you know what they don't do they even say who wrote this? Uh, our CMA CMA friends you need to put who wrote this cuz this is a good article uh, that cuz it doesn't say anywhere who the author is oh boy that's a pet peeve ooh we got to call them and tell
0: them <laughs> call them yeah. who uses right. the
1: phone right. anymore i i'd have to I'll text <laughs> them or I'll tweet them jeez are you kidding me um i love this point in here it says uh, it's a seven figure deal and then a, so it said so that could be anything from one million to you know nine 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 nine. nine. Says, "Come on, you Guardian niece. Yeah, right, Let's be fully right. transparent." I just thought that, that right, was funny. Right. Exactly. Okay. So a couple <laughs> things that I took out of this. One, I really like the move, and this is a this is a great way to leverage a media company as part of your content marketing initiatives because they have something very specific that they're trying to do, and this is around sustainable business. And so Guardian, one of Guardian's core right. tenants, as far as I know, is focusing on sustainable business practices. They've been covering it for a while. And here it is, Unilever, which in the past has, you know, seen some negative uh, press on their sustainable business practices. So they're coming to the table and say, yeah, Guardian, help us tell a better story in this area. And they're just focusing on that. They're not saying, help us with our content marketing strategy. They're saying, help us communicate better in this area. That I like. So that makes perfect sense to me. And here's where, and I, I told you before the show, my rant is right now. So, the, <laughs> so I'm going to do a so little uh, hint to everyone. I'm not going to do it at the end. I'm going to do it right now. And here's my problem with it. When you click on the, if you want to call it a microsite or whatever it is, it's their partner. They call it a partner zone. And that's how the Guardian brands their native advertising, or it's not really native in this case. It's, it's just sponsored content areas. So it says Guardian Sustainable Business Partner Zone supported by Unilever. I'm just going to read you the titles of these articles here. Unilever's Project Sunlight. Uh Unilever launches new behavior change health campaign. Unilever accelerates market transformation for sustainable palm oil. Unilever Sustainable Living Lab, on and on. I'm oh, already
0: yawning. Every
1: well, every article is has right. Unilever this is not a sponsored content area. This is a media room, right? Did they, are they seriously going to work with the greatest journalists on the planet from The Guardian and have them do glorified pitches? I, I, I have to, I have to hope that this is not it. That this is some, that, that I'm, I've gotten to the wrong page and I'm looking at, at something in the bizarro uh, native advertising world. Because this is, doesn't make sense to me. I mean, are you, are you looking at this thing?
0: Well, I, I it, you know, it. here's why it does make sense to me. Only because then the next story that we're covering here, which talks about it from The Guardian as well, talks about how native advertising is here to stay. But, you know, in a proper British accent, it must be transparent, Mr. Polizzi. It must be transparent. We must have transparency for the entire native advertising world at The Guardian. You're gonna get so much so-
1: hate email on that <laughs> on that accent, just so you know. <laughs> but I like the try. Good old college try, yeah, much well, better you know, than I mine. Mean, that's I mean, why I'd never know, do look. it. Yeah. Look,
0: I've got a have bo- got I've got a bottle of red wine right here, oh, so you know that's let's that kick it up that, that Let's kick was it up a notch. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, here's the thing. This this art this article was is the headline of it is why native advertising is here to stay, but must be transparent. And we paired it with this other story for this very reason, because this article talks about you know, and and they even say content marketing. They sort of use the terms interchangeably here is here to stay, but they say basically magazine brands are painstakingly built upon trust, and that cannot be eroded for commercial gain. I mean, really? I mean, you know, so. If this is what they end up with, is what you just looked at, which is basically a media room, and in in the spirit of transparency, like we're not going to not only let you know that it's Unilever story, we're going to paste Unilever's name all over it here so that you understand that this is a paid-for piece of property. And, yeah, we don't really care how it performs. We're the Guardian. We don't care. Then it's it, – it, it becomes a ridiculous thing, right? It becomes something that is the opposite of what native advertising is meant to actually accomplish.
1: You know, I'm trying to bring it up. Uh, it's David Spark. I can't find it. This was have, I didn't have it handy, but he did a great, uh, and we'll put this in the show notes, he did a great article on the fact that native advertising is killing itself because it's over labeling everything. And uh, that he did an analysis of the New York Times new native advertising Program and we talked about it on the past show that it's really not native advertising, but let's just right. go with it. Said that he counted in in the Dell uh, sponsored content pages. He counted twelve areas where they say sponsored or native or caution. This is not <laughs> this is not right. New York Times editorial exactly, and it's almost it's 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 just ridiculous. Like what is it? <laughs> Are we so scared to say, "Oh my gosh, we're actually partnering with brands and helping them with their content"? But watch out, this isn't this isn't real content. I mean, just label it once and get on with your day, right? Are we just going overboard with this thing?
0: We are, and that's and and you know and and I've, as I said just you know five minutes ago, as a marketer, I don't necessarily have a dog in the fight of the whole transparency thing. But here's actually where I do have an interest in it as a marketer because if you overlabel this to the point of having it look like an ad, then it's an ad. And I don't care, you know and then and then I, I, I devalue it based on that. The whole point of me wanting as a content marketer, to put in my piece of content into your seamlessly into your brand experience is because it's seamlessly integrated into your brand experience. I get it, it's gotta be labeled. But label it once, assume that the audience gets it or we'll sniff it out, and let's move it on.
1: Oh my goodness. This is crazy. This is gonna be like you're gonna get a pop up ad before you <laughs> look at Sponsored content and say you're uh, gonna beware. To, you're gonna
0: have to acknowledge. You're gonna have to click the box saying I've read the terms and conditions and I am prepared to experience native advertising.
1: We're gonna come back to banner ads to call out <laughs> native advertising.
0: But I'm it's serious. worse because you're gonna have to acknowledge it. You're gonna have to actually acknowledge. You're gonna that have, you're have going to check to read the, an ad. check
1: the box. Do you approve that you are reading sponsored right, content? That exactly. What is going on, man? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, there we go. There's yeah, our rant. For, exactly. Uh, there's our rant for 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 today. It comes a little earlier in the show than it might <laughs> otherwise. All right. Well, moving on to the next story here. Um, interesting one. You actually sent this one to me late, and I got so I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing. But I read, you know, I, I read about half of it before before we went on air, and it's from the New York Times. The publisher of the New York Times who says, print will outlive desktops, which I love that headline anyway, which is just so great. Print will outlive – I mean if that's not link bait, I don't know what is. It comes (laughs) from AdAge and basically the New York Times publisher – uh, Arthur Salzberger Jr. told a group of media professionals on Thursday morning, uh, meaning uh, uh, I guess last Thursday, uh, print will be around longer than the desktop. He then goes on to sort of backtrack a little bit on that and talk about. It. Now I don't mean that desktops are going away or anything like that, but he really talks about, and I think this is really accurate, that you know, mobile is really taking over the reading experience for for many, many folks, and they're experimenting with a lot of different mobile models. And so mobile is really going to be the new way of interacting with, you know, with reading and that print will be, you know, will also be, you know, will also be one of the main conduits. So, I mean, what, I mean, you, you come from this world. What, what was your take on it?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's, I completely agree with the fact that um, print will be around longer than our desktop experience, about what we're going on now. And the reason why I, th- I threw this article over to you, it, it's it plays so well with what we just talked about. We're fighting over all these labeling things that are going on in a desktop, and this is only going to happen for the next couple years. This argument, we're not going to be having this argument because when it goes to mobile, which I think is the next article we're talking about, when we're talking about the mobile experience, it's in stream, and there doesn't seem to be as much of a problem. And just take what Twitter's doing, what Facebook is doing, it's it's wrapped up in the experience. You frankly can't label it. You, I mean, there, there's you can't you can't do the twelve uh, different pieces of labeling and warnings that New York Times has. So I think the point is is that I think we're getting all wrapped up in this desktop experience, which is only going to be. I mean, that's where the responsive site is so critical, right? Yeah. It, I mean, that's I think that's the take, and I just wanted to make sure that we got it out there and got that in the show notes. Where stop worrying so much and nitpicking about what's going on in the desktop, I and mean, I think we've really got to now get serious about mobile.
0: I, I, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, and and you know something that comes up at you know at client uh, and and workshops and and you know just basically everywhere I go these days is that there's this you know sort of there's there's the, there's this idea of desktop which is being fundamentally redefined if you think about it. You know, I, I often ask people these days you know, is television a service or is it an appliance? And, you know, because you've got this thing, this monitor hanging on your wall or sitting on your table. And if you don't use it to connect to broadcast or cable television, you only use it to connect to internet related video content. Is it still a television? Uh And it's a really interesting thing because I think that's where desktop quote unquote is really going. We're having this, you know, large screen, very, it's it's going to end up a very niche device, right? Only For only those who need it for design or really doing more complex types of work on the computer, and really mobile is, and mobile being expansive, you know, to talk about tablets and phablets and you know, laptops and and also, you know, things in our car and all of that. And that's really changing the way that we experience content. So the overall message of this story, I think, is a really interesting one, which is we spend so much time talking about the fundamental disruption of mobile and interfaces of mobile, we don't really talk a lot about how desktop is actually itself also fundamentally transforming.
1: What's the phablet? (laughs)
0: <laughs> Have you not seen this? Have you not seen this? It, no, it actually, it's actually a word. It's, this this is actually a thing that that there is a thing called the phablet. Yes, it's a. I believe Samsung makes one. Um, I may be getting that wrong, but there's a couple of them that are being made right now. It's a. Think about the size of an iPad Mini. Okay, but but it has a phone, and so you carry it and use it like you would a phone. But it's giant. It's a big. It's a big giant device that is you know seven inches or nine inches. Of uh, of screen space, so it they, they call it a phablet, which is a it, the combination of a phone and tablet. It's a phablet. Uh, I love think, it. Uh, love it, Joe. It's you, a great. I, I don't.
1: I I that that, that offends me <laughs> for some reason. I don't wow. like that. It I don't like you. it. I'm, I'm uneasy okay. about the phablet. I don't know. All right.
0: Well. Okay. <laughs> I uh, have I issues that,
1: apparently with phablet.
0: I, it, I I think that should be the title of the show. I'm uneasy with the phablet. <laughs> I'm, All
1: right, I should be drinking too. This is this absolutely is, this is well. Moving on to our wrong. next,
0: our next mobile story, actually, which is a really interesting one, comes from ClickZ, and it basically, and again, it comes, it it covers native advertising, but it talks about mobile and native advertising. And this was a really interesting article, I thought, because basically it was talking about how native content and and this idea of mobile branded entertainment, or what we would commonly call content marketing is really going to be the fastest growing segment of this category. And the reason that this writer brings this up and he interviews a a guy that I don't know, but he interviews this guy from an agency, and talks about this and and the really interesting thing that they bring up is that it becomes a way for brands to interact with audiences in, using content in a much more, you know, in a much more interactive way than ads will ever empower. And so, if it really works on the desktop, it's really really going to work. On mobile, where you know an artist, for example, can interact, you know, using a piece of content on a on a publication, and with audio and with video, and you can interact with and play with it, all that kind of stuff, and it really talks about the power of a of content in a mobile being the driver of where native advertising and content can really can really live. I I really thought it was an interesting article.
1: I like the article. The, I mean it's it's it actually leads leads back to what we were just talking about about, yeah, about everything moving moving to mobile absolutely there's some measurement stats in here uh where what are they talking about here oh 4 billion smartphones in 12 5.1 and and 14 native advertising says not yet measured for mobile will be 2 billion this year and pegged at 20% year to year growth by Forrester what i keep thinking about is well this thing is going to get crazy and I think it's and, and my, I guess my concern and maybe I shouldn't be concerned at all it's almost that advertising is is hijacking our little content initiative here that we have going on because it is full blown I mean this is not a content marketing budget this is an advertising budget that is now in play for content initiatives and this is happening before our eyes and happening with really, really big dollars. I don't have any – there's nothing smart to say about it or, or intelligent. I'm just making the point that this could get really, really either fantastic or ugly really quickly. Correct? I mean, are you
0: – Well, uh, here's yeah, Here's why I don't worry about it. Um, so to make you – hope, hopefully to make you feel a little better about it. When we think about content marketing from the more holistic paid owned – and earned media perspective. This is only paid media that we're talking about here. And you make the point so brilliantly in each of the talks that you give where you talk about, look, if you're not aggregating your own audience here, and we talked about it last week when we talked about the John Battelle article about don't build your house on rented land. If you're not aggregating your own audience, meaning if you don't have an owned media strategy, you're gonna miss out. You're going to, it it will not end up the way you want it to end up ultimately. And all three have to be equal. You know, they are three legs of the stool there. And so native advertising to me is interesting. It's a paid it's a new paid media strategy that I'm really interested in. And it also infuses content marketing and into my broader marketing strategy, which I think is really interesting also. But if it doesn't pull my audience back to my if I'm not using my paid media strategy to draw that audience back into my own channels so that they subscribe to me. Basically, my whole goal as a native advertiser is to steal audience. That's that's yep. the whole goal. I want to steal audience from the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or Forbes and bring them into me so that they become my audience. And that's the real – so I don't worry about it so much. I mean I think it is big. And the reason I think it's big, by the way, is because that's where the money is right now. Yep, yep. And you see a lot of ad agencies really driving this because that's where the media dollars are getting diverted into.
1: Well, there's two two points. Absolutely right. There's two points here. One, 2014 – is the year of native advertising because it's all about distribution right now. I mean the the Unilever, we didn't talk about it, but there's a there's a line in that Unilever article that says brands are tired of building cathedrals in the desert where they're yeah, they're exactly. basically putting all this money into content with no distribution. Well, now native advertising is open and they're they're being allowed to distribute this content in different ways, but you're right, hopefully for owned reasons, but Uh, I think what we're really seeing is the shift is happening so much faster from paid to owned that I was I've never I never was expecting this fast. I mean, if you think of paid as Jupiter and and earned as Mars, uh, owned was Pluto and not even a planet anymore. I mean, that's that's what it was. And we're seeing this shift because you're right. It's got to be equal. But this is happening so so fast. It is it's bringing in some interesting components. Well,
0: but think about it. It's 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 not surprising when you think about it, right? Because it's the shortcut, right? So how do I? Because as you and I both know, you don't need paid media to build an audience. Mm-hmm. It's helpful. It's very helpful, and it can be an ink incredibly important part of a strategy, but it's not required. It's not, you know, it's not table stakes to build an audience. You can build build an audience with just an owned and earned strategy. You don't have to pay for it. Now, having said that, it's a shortcut, right? It, It enables people to rise above the noise in a paid fashion to pay for a seat at the table and integrated well it becomes an incredibly important piece of the strategy but that's why it's got so much attention to it right now is because it's where everybody goes I I want it I'll buy it right so that's and they can and they can
1: boy and I think that's the takeaway right is that I mean if you're if you're doing the the rent to own strategy which by the way IBM has done this brilliantly for years, where they've been advertising their C-level reports on every number of channels out there and media places in order to get people to download their stuff. And it's been going, I mean, they've been doing a really, really good job for a long time. And I think that if we're doing that, then we've got something, but if we don't have any kind of subscription strategy... Uh, alongside, riding alongside our native advertising uh, plans or whatever the case is, yeah, we, we're going to have some problems because at the end of the day, end of the day, they're just going to be spending advertising, and there's no asset at the end of the rainbow, and that's what content marketing should be about, building that asset.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, it, it's a it's a business strategy, not just creating content for content's sake. You got it. Moving on to the next story here, really interesting one that comes from a, a site that I'd never actually visited before uh, called eMediaVitals.com. And the story is, can content marketers learn from Upworthy and Vox? And, you know, I mean, first of all, can we just put an end to the – can can we learn something from, you know, Breaking Bad? Can we learn something from – Whatever popular meme is going around, you know, is sort of applying it to. Anyway, I'll get off on my own rant. Well, that
1: ain't gonna happen. So I know,
0: (laughs) I know, I know. But anyway, so this article has uh, it was a really interesting thing because the 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 writer talks about what can we learn from how you know the sort of meteoric rise of Upworthy and the new launch of this new Vox uh, channel. And I thought it was really interesting. I, the, the takeaway that I, 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 I looked at the, the, the Upworthy thing, and, and they talked about how, you know, they talked about the thing we talked about a couple of episodes ago with the sort of, you know, clickbaity uh, headlines that don't really pay off. And they, the, the thing that I pulled out of there was this really interesting metric that they used. They stopped using page views, and they started looking at what they called attention minutes, which I thought that's a really interesting thing for us to look at as content marketers. Is, you know, we, we often look at engagement as time on site, but I really like that term attention minutes, right? How much attention did we actually gather? And then from the Vox portion, which was sort of the second half of the article, they really talked about, and what I took away was their sort of m- mission in life is that they feel like the media is excellent reporting the news and they're pretty good at adding commentary on top of it, talking heads, talking about the news. But there's no real organization that's genuinely sort of explaining the news. And, and I thought that was a really interesting thing because as a content marketer, in many cases, our curation strategy or what we're doing from a strategy to sort of aggregate content from you know, our industry and become a thought leader, that's a really incredibly important piece of it is to not only uh, aggregate it but actually explain it in a way – that differentiates our point of view on it. And I thought that was a really – I thought those were two nice takeaways from, from an article I didn't think I was going to like.
1: Is is Vox – Vox is not out yet, correct? It's this not.
0: Is, it's not. It's just – yeah, it's just – We're just uh, anticipating yeah. what is going, right. What is going well, and there, to be. I well, mean, they, this is what they said it was going to be, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean a whole – I like that. That part of the article was important because it's – the part of, of journalism is this
0: uh,
1: civic importance to the the content we're creating – and that I that I liked and they basically said, look, if it's not being engaged in, you're not doing any good. So you've got to get people to, to click and, and engage in these articles. But I like in the first part about upward these key metrics. So you talked about the attention minutes, but they say they they look at it in three metrics importance, satisfaction, and quality. So they yeah. say, okay, quality is this subjective right. thing, and then satisfaction, and then uh, so the engagement, that's the objective single, signals that people are actually enjoying this, they're sharing it, are they clicking on it? So they're, they're trying to get past the click. So they're, they're, what they're saying is, great, yeah, we have clickbaity headlines, we get it, but if people are sharing it, then it's done its job. If people aren't sharing it, then we have absolutely served no purpose. So I think that's interesting, and I think that attention minutes will, will work. The challenge is, I guess my takeaway or my question to you is, does this work for brands? Does It, it works for media companies just fine. Does well, I think,
0: I think it does because brands are media companies or should be media companies and should be looking, you know, in fact, I'm about to get on an airplane tomorrow morning and fly to Toronto to speak at a media conference about content marketing measurement. Um, and this is actually going to segue nicely into our next story here, but the, the idea here is is that one of the things that has really challenged that i've noticed brands in general is this whole idea of content marketing you know it's it's cliche at this point to say we're all publishers we should all act like media companies we should all act like publishers and but the the point is is that we we're we are we're acting brands are acting like publishers and they're not becoming publishers and that's a really important distinction because media companies look at things like you know, what you just mentioned, right? The quality, the attention, the, the engagement with that audience. And we often look at analytics as a way to say, well, which one closed the deal, right? Which one converted more? And instead, we need to start looking at, like a media company or as a media company, which one is actually helping us develop a relationship with that audience? Mm-hmm. And that is really the, the heart and meat of content marketing measurement.
1: You know if you don't mind I just wanted to make a comment uh you know our good friend Barry Feldman who yeah. uh, who's been sending us notes and, and you know I he was at the uh, Intelligent Content Conference uh in San Jose great event and uh we were there talking and and I did my whole content marketing mission statement thing and we talked afterwards and of course you saw the emails and he said Nobody's doing this content marketing mission statement thing. I said, absolutely right. And we just started to look at it a little bit more. And of course, I spent two hours this morning writing an article on LinkedIn about the the differences. You've got brands that are trying to act like publishers. And what does a publisher have that when you start a publishing and if, if you start a media company, the first thing you do is you create an editorial mission statement. It's so the first thing you do. That's your vision, right? Right. That's where that's right. The, the ship is. That's where the ship is headed. Do you know what? No brands have editorial mission statements. None of them. Yeah. Ma- exactly. Maybe less than one percent out there. Barry and I, you know, we were talking about. It's hard to find anybody that set up their content marketing program with an editorial mission statement to a distinct audience wanting to see a distinct behavior. This is a problem. So we're all, of course, we're all publishers today because we're doing all this crazy stuff and social media and podcasts and webinars. But none of us know where the heck we're heading because we haven't started with the basics of publishing a basic publishing is starting with an editorial mission and nobody's got it sorry to get off on the rant but i just
0: no. it's a great one it's 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 exactly right i mean we got i mean it's good well if this segues into the last story of the day i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna move us i'm gonna move as we've talked enough about the measure i want to move into that because it's okay. a really important piece that um, so this comes from an article called the five phases of content marketing maturity and you know i mean This guy, Jake Sorfman, who is a Gartner analyst, and, you know, there's two reasons I love this article, Um, and it comes from Forbes. One is because it shows me that Gartner's finally paying attention to this, which is just very nice that they actually, actually wrote an article that mentions content marketing in it and talks about it in a very deep and intelligent way. So yay for Gartner for finally... Getting this, Um, and I know, and I know of Jake. I don't know him personally, but I know of Jake, and Jake's a really smart guy. I really like his writing. So, this, what he actually outlined here was a maturity level, and he talks about this five stages of a maturity level of content marketing, and he talks about documenting capabilities, and in that he talked documenting capabilities and storytelling, differentiated point of view, what we would call the why, the category creator, what we would call the mission, and that's what I want to come back to. And sort of this thought leader, uh, which we would of course call thought leaders, and those he looked at that as sort of as a, a maturity scale of how a company can become into this. And to me, I think they're exactly right. I think they're just in the wrong order. And it, so the, the fascinating thing to me is listening to you talk there. I think that the thing that we call mission, that category creator, I think that has to come first. Yep. I think it absolutely has to come. The it's table stakes for anybody that wants to get into the content marketing approach and infuse it into their marketing strategy. That has to come first. I mean, do you do you agree with that?
1: Oh, that's so. I, you know what? I did not read that, but now that you say that, I, I that totally makes perfect sense to me. Because the thing is, is and then this is our whole. I mean, you could go back to content shock. You could talk about what you you said. It's not. Uh, you've got millions of. Uh, what, what's the what's right. the What's the, the audience thing? You've got a thousand people and a million niches now or something like that?
0: Right. It's it it used to be that you had thousands of markets with millions of people and now you have millions of people and thousands of markets. That's
1: it. I mean they, perfect yeah. because or and, other way around, right.
0: Yeah. 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 Here,
1: here's the issue I think here's the issue for me, and this is what you know, you and I have been talking to a lot of brands about it, and I've been, you know, hitting the speaking circuit talking about this religiously, is that a brand doesn't just have one content marketing strategy or approach to the business right if they exactly. have multiple readers hence buyers right or influencers or gatekeepers depending on who they are that's a whole different niche a whole in court, this would be phase four that gartner's talking about category yeah exactly. so if you're going off on an approach to a certain particular audience or readership you have to select the category first or who cares about your point of view that which is phase right. three you've got to go you you're well uh, you're, you're this is this is your show <laughs> this is your episode. You are give me, on. More me, red wine me, for you, my give friend. Give me some more red wine, and yeah.
0: uh, and we'll call it a day. I really loved it. I, I and I loved uh, and and sh- big shout out to Jake Sorfman for this because it's a, it's just a great article. And and you know the only other one, you know I don't think he has it in the right order, but that's just a quibble, really more than anything else. The other thing is I think storyteller is above thought leader, but that's a whole other rant. But. Um, well, that, I mean, and that, that really kind of finishes our stories. Uh, we, we did a rant. Did you want to add anything to your rant or, or you know, it, we, this is the segment of our show where we would normally put a rant or a rave and um, uh, do you have, do you have anything that you wanted to add to it? I
1: think four rants in one episode is probably <laughs> enough. My apologies to the listeners. Yeah, I was, I was definitely in one, it's been one of those days, my friend. I'm ranting well, about excellent. everything.
0: I I, I I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. Well, this brings us to the part of the show that, of course, is our nameshake of the show. And I'm actually really proud to say that this week it's actually me that found this old marketing example. It's it's rarely me, love it. if love ever. It. And so as, as, as you know, Joe, I'm a voracious reader. I read a lot of business books. Um, I love them. I love – I'm a student, a perennial student. So uh, I'm reading this book over the weekend called Marketing Management, Text, and Cases. Oh, yeah. It's, it's exciting stuff, my friend. Whoa. Um, yeah. Adults it's, it's, only
1: for that one. Yeah.
0: I know. Yeah. So it's this book called Marketing Management, Text, and Cases. It's a good book, by the way, um, written in 2008, and there's been subsequent editions of it. Anyway, as I'm reading this book, I run across this case study of Harley-Davidson, the motorcycle company, and their Enthusiast magazine that was started in 1916. And they they just mentioned it. So I actually go online and I start doing a little research on it and see what it's all about. And here it is. They actually launched in 1916 this magazine called Enthusiast Magazine, which was all about motorcycling. And basically what you can do, where you can go, the latest information on safety, equipment, the general lifestyle of being a motorcyclist. Really interesting stuff. And just basically, you know, like the furrow before it and all of these uh, sort of – ongoing content publications, the Enthusiast Magazine was really a way for Harley-Davidson owners to really understand the lifestyle of actually riding a motorcycle, which I thought was fascinating. The other thing that I took away from this, which was just wonderful, they actually made it a point to include lots of Harley-Davidson owners' comments. And so it was not unlike the 1916 version of a blog, right? Because they were actually having mm-hmm. a lot of comments back and forward and, communi- and communi- community in this magazine, back and forth with each other, them's telling their own stories, views, opinions, all that kind of stuff. This is just wonderful. Now, here's the thing: it's not no longer in existence. It's now morphed into what's called Hog Magazine, which has got more than eight hundred thousand subscribers. Um, but it's really at this point an owners' group magazine. So I went and looked at it, and you know, it's still a great magazine. There's no, if you're a Harley Davidson owner, I'm sure you'd love it and they 've sort of split out the idea of communities they actually have their own online communities now there 's of course you know all sorts of informal user generated communities around this, but I looked around their site and I looked around the web and and digital and just sort of generally and i didn 't really see anything like enthusiast on their current platform, which made me a little sad. I had to be honest um, you know mm-hmm. I, I think it would be really cool for them to resurrect something like this, and you know I mean not that i 'm suggesting they need to by any stretch but i i i kind of missed it right i was like I was really hoping that it would be something that I would see out there sort of reinvigorated in a digital way, but it seems to have sort of all been folded up into their... Into their owner's magazine.
1: Well, it's such a great story, and it's just it's, yeah. it's funny. The more and more, we're getting so many examples from, let's say, 1895 to the 1920s, you know, to, to the world's largest radio we talked about with Sears. Some of these were amazing, and then we had this period where you got to the more mass media that they just forgot about doing yeah. this stuff. And then that's where you had a lot of these things die. And, I mean, and that's why we're so excited. And you could hear we're all deflated. Oh, please, keep it going. Yeah, yeah, and no, right. we're, we're, we're hoping we're on your side. But, uh, yeah, it's just interesting how that happened. And now we're kind of coming back to the promised land here that we saw 100 years ago. It's just interesting. That's a 1916, 90, 1916. Ninety-eight yeah. years ago. And there's some
0: wonderful things. Yeah, if you, go, if you Google it, there's some wonderful – there's actually old issues – out on ebay that are selling for you know big money and so you can actually buy really old issues and see photos and stuff from it it's just it's it's really wonderful i was actually just, just i was do a google search for it
1: i was actually bidding on it during this episode i was that was, what I was <laughs> when i was distracted i was bidding up that the issue from 1918 there is. yeah
0: there Absolutely. you go um <laughs> uh, this brings us to the part of the show questions from our viewers um and this week we actually have a question from twitter uh, and it's not really a question as much as it is a comment, sort of a hat tip kind of thing. Um, James Gardner, uh, who you can get on Twitter at, at James A. Gardner uh, on, on Twitter there. He sent us this video, and I had seen it actually, and Joe, I'm sure you'd seen it as well. It's this thing that's gone a bit viral. It's, the, it's from a clothing company, um, and it's, the, it's called The First Kiss, where they basically bring strangers together to kiss for the first time and you watch the video and it's basically shooting very pretty beautiful people sort of doing a first kiss who don't know each other and the idea is, is that it's you know you're, you're seeing them wear this uh, designer's uh, clothes while they do it um and it's been parodied you know literally it's been up a week and a half and i've seen like four i've seen the playboy version of oh, course i've seen the parodies oh uh, no, yeah I, no I, yeah the parodies are out there right geez. there's one that's there's one called an ugly people's version of it there's there's all these did they do parodies. a Muppets
1: did they do a muppets version <laughs> I have not they got seen the a muppet movie version. coming out i gotta figure I have that's not in the, the play come on that's, very, that's um, cute see yeah. is that, that's disney now right right disney. come on disney Let's go.
0: Yeah, but but here we go. So content marketing campaign, clever advertising. I'm not sure.
1: So what? So the point was, is that was this an example of content marketing? Because it, yeah, it, I think it's James not. is
0: really yeah. saying he's sending it. Yeah, he's sending us this thing saying you know basically is content marketing and 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 I think the. The key is, is for us, is that yeah, it's very clever. It's a very clever ad. It's very clever campaign, but not necessarily content marketing because it doesn't seem to be a prolonged effort or an approach. You know of how they're going to market. It seems like a very clever way to try and go viral.
1: Clever ad, and it looks like the sales. Uh, Forgive what, what, the pun. Well, <laughs> what's the what's the what's the company's? Uh, uh, uh,
0: it is. Uh, hold on a moment. Can't I'll even... tell you. It's it's called uh, oh, Rent. Ren yeah, W R E N or E-N, Yeah, Ren. yeah, yeah. The, the
1: funniest comment that I saw was on Facebook, and and Shell Holtz, uh, our good friend, made a comment about this, and he yeah. said, "I knew it was fake right away because there were twenty beautiful people, and this these were Americans, and no one was over overweight." Yeah. like, are you kidding me? It's like this is. <laughs>
0: let's get some realism into this thing. You should go watch some of the parodies; they're pretty funny. <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So okay, where are you gonna where you where where are you gonna be in the next couple well, of coming weeks I, here? Yeah,
1: you and I were talking about it. This is this is the start. So um, it's, it so, starts
0: tomorrow for me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So next. So this Thursday, um, I'm in uh, Chicago for AMA's Brand Smart. So that'll be fun. I get the closing keynote for that one. It's just an, a quick in and out trip, and then uh, we've got our big trips going. I'll be at Social Media Marketing World that next week. I speak one of the early sessions because I have to head out then for Content Marketing World Sydney, uh, 31st March to April 2nd. And then uh, we also want to put in a plug for our good friends at Content Marketing Asia. You and I will be headed over to Singapore on April 8th. So if you're in the Singapore area or the Sydney area, we'd love to see you. So it's going to be the the Rose Polizzi World Tour, it seems. <laughs> yeah, but you start earlier than I do. I mean, so you, I do. you have I an extra week get... on the front end of I
0: yours. do, I do. I'm starting tomorrow in Toronto at the Beacon conference where I'm doing that talk on measurement, which I'm really excited about. That is just a quick in and out for me. Then I'm off to Seattle to visit the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation doing a workshop Uh, with those guys out there on content marketing and brand storytelling, which will be totally fun. Then I immediately go out to Salt Lake City, and I'm keynoting a kickoff for the Adobe Summit, um, which I'm really excited about. Some good friends out there from Adobe and get to see them. And then I go and finish that second week uh, at Oracle, um, sort of in a weird sort of oddly competitive way uh, doing a doing a doing a workshop with them on uh, on content marketing and then i jump right on a plane and head to sydney so sydney will actually be a re- bit of a respite for me in terms of travel
1: well we're gonna have some fun out there of course the the, the folks indeed. in sydney are absolutely some of the best people on the face they of really the earth, truly are we're really um, super excited about oh i geez, i got to I, this just came. Through. I didn't even tell you about this. Our good friends at King Content are sponsoring our uh, PNR show live from uh, Content Marketing World Sydney.
0: Oh, that's uh, fantastic! Oh, we yeah, got I, th- this. Is the truth? You did not tell me this. It's just so I, just, I just, I just found
1: that. out. Literally found out an hour ago, and I got the okay from <clears> uh, from Craig at King Content, and he's gonna. He said, "Go ahead, bring it on." So we're gonna have uh, three mics there. We're gonna do it live. We're gonna have our good. Friend uh, Todd Wheatland join us for a little bit of uh, give and take there, but we're going to have the whole audience there. We're going to do it in, in the exhibit hall, and it'll be our first, two first, first live one where we'll actually have to look at each other. Uh, we'll have actually people in the room <laughs> with, with us at the same time, and it's also our first guest, uh, so we're going to just do it all at the same time. I can't, can't believe I didn't tell you, but there you go. It, it you know fun. what? It'll
0: be And it'll be great because it'll be our 20th episode.
1: Oh, my. god. Goodness.
0: i'm getting that is just goosebumps my friend it's just fabulous <laughs> that is just fabulous all right well let's quit while we're ahead here. all right let's do it let's get that, out of here that is it for joe pulizzi this is robert rose signing off and remember if you'd like your question answered on the show tag us on twitter at hashtag this old or send an email to ThisOldMarketing at contentinstitute.com. this was episode number 18 also if you like this episode Do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links are on the show notes, available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.